Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Suma T. Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz. And you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website, sumatisparks.com. That's S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, Sparks, as in Sparks Are Flying. And when you request the quiz, you'll be automatically added to my mailing list, and you'll be the first to learn about my virtual events and to receive occasional helpful tidbits of advice and information to add more love, passion, and joy into your life. So today, I'm so excited to have as my guest, Deborah Katz. Deborah is the host of the soon-to-be-released Great Sex for Men podcast. She has made a lifelong study of men and sex and is delighted to support men and couples in having satisfying relationships and glorious sex. She's Somatica trained, a certified Tantra educator, bondage trainer, and orgasmic meditation coach. She also hosts the SF Bay Area Tantra Speed Date event. So glad to have you here, Kat. Welcome. Thank you so much. I am so glad to be here. And I love, uh, I love uh, to have your sparks fly. Um, that's such a great definition, uh, description. Um, and I'm so <laughs> pleased to be here. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, so glad to have you. I've you know, I've been seeing you. We've been floating around in each other's orbits for quite a few years, and so it's exciting that we lined up to collaborate in this way finally. <laughs> so I was really impressed to hear about all the different trainings that you've done over the years, and so maybe we could just start at the beginning and talk about, you know, very few of us grew up as little girls going, I want to be a sex educator. <laughs> so how did you actually get to the point of becoming you know, an expert in male sexuality. Can you start us from the beginning a little bit here? Absolutely. Well, you know, I think I like to say that, um, you know, I was good in my past life, and so I got to grow up in San Francisco. And uh-huh. and and what that means is is that I had this really amazing. Uh, alternative lifestyle that I grew up with. Like, you know, my um, my best friend's mom was the manager of Hamburger Mary's and the stud back in the 70s. And so... Oh, my God, I love those places. <laughs> right? And so, like, our babysitters were drag queens. And... Um, <laughs> You know, so we had this opportunity to to see all sorts of different lifestyles um, from a very young age so that there was just, like, it made perfect sense to me that, like, you know, two uncles would be together or that, um, you know, there would be extended families where there'd be three moms and two dads or you know, one mom and three dads or, you know, all of these different opportunities for configurations of relationship was something I got to see at a very young age. And then for my own sexuality, um, I started out, you know, because my lovers came from the Renaissance Fair. 
And um, so, you know, by day, we were improving and playing these characters. And, you know, with these characters had these amazing costumes and props. And there were personas and there were stories. And, you know, there was a certain amount of power dynamic in that. Um, and so these qualities ended up in the bedroom. <laughs> uh-huh. So, so it wasn't until I was, like, in college and started dating guys that weren't from the Renaissance fair that it was like, what do you mean you don't want to be my stable boy? And, you know, <laughs> why wouldn't you want me to be your naughty milkmaid? Like, I mean, it was it was kind of a shocking thing. And so it was kind of funny, but like my my sort of sexual, I don't want to say sexual shame exactly, but like that thing of like what I want or what turns me on is weird didn't happen until I was in college. And then, uh-huh. you know, I got a really big dose of it, and so that all shut down. And I kind of tried to do the the sort of straight monogamous uh thing for a while and and that really it wasn't me you know it wasn't how I authentically love it's not how I authentic my my eroticism authentically uh flows and so so it didn't go well (laughs) I mean it would go well for about 18 months and then I would blow things up because I wasn't in the right place doing the right thing and then Mm -hmm. um you know, I, I've been with my partner now for over 20 years, and literally COVID is the first time we've been functionally monogamous. So, mm. uh, yeah. <laughs> so it was really funny because it's like, you know, when I first dated, I, when, I, when I first dated him, I was really kind of learning how to date. Like I was figuring out what it was authentically me. Because I'd had a I had a relationship that totally blew up, um, and it blew up for a dumb reason. Like I would have been fine. He was cheating, and I would have been fine. Um, Cat, Cat, before you continue, can you just back off from your microphone by just a fraction of an inch? Is that better? Yes, thank you. Sorry about that. I I was getting all excited. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Continue, please. So anyway, I I, I basically I I had a relationship that you know after a string of relationships that were working out that blew up, and I decided that it was time for me to figure out how to do this relationship thing. So I read everything there was to read about relationships, and I took all the classes and sort of started this dating experiment where, like, I actually, you know, uh, was, you know, would go out on all of these different dates and and try and figure out what it was that made it work for me. And I ended up meeting my partner along the way. And the funny thing was Mm -hmm. is that he, you know, he said to me, and he was on a second date, you know, I'm, I'm not monogamous. And I was like, huh, well, okay, I, I guess I'll stick around as long as that works for me. And I remember on the drive home, because he was in San Francisco and I was in Santa Cruz, and I remember on the ride home realizing that 
if he didn't have to be monogamous, then I didn't have to be monogamous. And it was like something, (laughs) it was like this light bulb went on. And I was like, oh, that's that's different, you know. And then I I started kind of remembering, you know, some of the non-monogamous relationships I'd seen earlier in my lifetime. And, you know, we just, like I said, we we just sort of went with it. Um, And for a long time, we would, we had kind of this thing where once a year we would, uh, we would, you know, um, make a commitment to stay together for another year. Mm -hmm. We did that about 10 years and then we were kind of like, well, maybe we were, maybe we can do two years at this point. Um, so this, so it's been this really incredible ride, um, and an amazing learning experience. And then, you know, with, with the COVID, um, we both had part, had other partners at the time. Um, you know, we went ahead and had kind of an uncoupling, um, partly because we you know, it didn't make sense. So we sort of had this, like, we had this uncoupling and we had this um, really beautiful ceremony around, like, we're going to end what we've got now and, you know, we're going to open the possibility for what is available to us in the future. But in this time mm-hmm. and in this place, this is what's happening. And mm-hmm. um, it was funny. We just sort of started having the conversation of, like, well, what do you want our relationship to look like going forward? Um, and, and you know, how has it, how have things changed over the last, you know, year and a half um, in what it is we want and desire? Mm-hmm. That's been a really interesting exploration. Um, wow, this is yeah. the partner that you've been with for 20 years you're talking about, right? Yes. Yeah, so, so during the pandemic, you're kind of, re-examining how you want to be after all those years? Well, yes. I mean, it it hadn't occurred to us that we would, I mean, I I think we just sort of taken for granted that our relationship would move the way it did with, you know, other people coming in and out of our lives. And, um, like, I had a, I had an, uh, another partner, so I've got my, the person that I consider to be my primary partner, and then um, a person that I consider to be a lover, and I was with that lover for three and a half years, um, but it didn't, you know, during the pandemic, it just didn't make sense for us to continue, and I, I really wanted my lover to have the freedom to find somebody in a pod closer to him. Um, he was uh, he was in he was in another state and came to to California to the Bay Area to work several times a month and so that you know that's how our connection was. But then when mm-hmm. he couldn't travel, um, I really wanted him to have the I guess bandwidth um, to find somebody closer if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And it was just really hard oh, yeah, to, like, totally. you know, have this con- this ongoing conversation of when we, will we, how is this going to be, 
And so, I mean, for me, it just felt like, okay, well, let's, let's actually, you know, have some completion about where we are now and then see what we want to do in the future. Because I think one mm-hmm. of the things that I see in relationships, and I see this with my clients a lot, is that their relationship has changed, right? They're in another mm-hmm. chapter of their life, and they haven't, but they're still, you know, the rules and regulations that they're still playing by are, you know, from the prologue. <laughs> they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're in sort of chapter 10, and they're still playing off of the prologue. And so one mm-hmm. of the things that, you know, one of, one of the things that I particularly like um, and find works really well is to actually have a kind of like a completion of like, this is what we've done so far. Let's bless it. Let's close it. And now let's see what's possible in this time and in this place. Mm-hmm. Well, that's beautiful. I can relate to that a lot. Um, and Kat, I really want you to, to get a good recording of this. So, um, whatever you're doing, sometimes it sounds really great and then other times it gets muffled. So whatever you can do to find a consistent point and stick with that <laughs> will make a better better sound. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, thank, so you for ta- I, thank you for telling me that. Yeah, thank you, because it's kind of hard to listen to when, the, when it's so inconsistent. So thank you for that. Um, but, no, I just wanted to respond to that because what I find in – um, you know, non-monogamous relationships, ethically non-monogamous relationships, is that we have an opportunity to morph into something different without losing the love and connection. I know when I was monogamous, my relationships would end, and, you know, we all default to the phrase breaking up. And so even the term we broke up, it's so violent, you know, it's so final. And I've found that if we can listen to what the other person wants and get our ego out of the way and like really hear what they're wanting, even if it means that they're going to spend less time with us or they want to spend more time with someone else or something that, you know, is really scary and threatens our security. If we can hold space for that and then speak our truth about what we want and hold our boundaries around that, then we never really have to break up. We can just hold the space for each other's feelings around this change, and then the relationship can change and dance and morph into something else. And I've done that a couple times in my years of of polyamory where I had a primary partner, and then we've morphed into something else, and we're still really close and love each other, and that's one of the gifts of this way of relating. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love what you're saying about, you know, the dance part of relationships. Um, It's such a great metaphor for it because it really is. Um, You know, there are times when, when, like it's been fascinating to me during this period of time to really reconnect uh, and have all of my attention, well, not all of, but... (laughs) Um, you know, but like the 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 large share of my attention being on my my um, my primary um, on mm-hmm. on Neil, um, because it's like there's a way in which the you know there is this this I I hadn't realized how much we had 
um, turn the volume down on our relationship. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I think part of that is, is you know, we have been together for 20 years, um, over 20 years, actually. But, you know, the thing is, is it's like the people we are today are so different than the people we were 20 years ago. And right. we were kind of laughing about this the other day that, like, you know, um, there's there's kind of this way in which the 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 spark and the romance um it's 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 kind of more mundane but at the same time it's got this quality of um you know like the other day he was reading to me while I did the dishes right mm-hmm. i mean it's just and for me, that's, that hits so many of my, um, like, it hits my love language of quality time. It hits my, uh, you know, my my daddy issues. <laughs> um, you know, it just, like, but there is something about that that, you know, we wouldn't have considered that romantic, and we probably wouldn't have made time for that, um, you know, in the beginning of our relationship, because that wasn't the way it was. Like, in the beginning mm-hmm. of our relationship, you know, there, there was no time for that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's a, that is one of the beauties of, of long-term relationships is that there's a deepening and a ripening. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and the sexuality changes, right? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, back in the day when you first get together with somebody, um, there's all that hot passion, and mm-hmm. and now it's more of a slow burn, um, or mm-hmm. you know, with with getting to to reacquaint each other, it's sort of like oh our bodies have changed a little bit, oh you know mm-hmm. this one part of you has actually become more sensitized, this other part of you is less sensitized, oh. The pace has changed, you know, going back to sort of the dance metaphor, it's like, you know, the, the tempo of our, of our seduction has changed, um, mm-hmm. you know. Well, I love that you can name those things. Yeah, I can tell that from your training that you have like this comfort level with naming those kinds of things and talking about it. And, you know, the default world, there's, there's this, belief that we're not supposed to talk about sex it's supposed to just happen like somehow we're just supposed to intuitively know what each other wants so so tell me a little bit about how did you take so you have this background where you grew up you know with the stud for those of you that don't know it was a really awesome gay bar in the 70s and 80s in san francisco and then hamburger mary's was this place that had hamburgers but it was just kind of like a free love sort of restaurant i remember going there after the Folsom Street Fair once, and everybody was just kissing each other in the whole restaurant, people we just met <laughs> in the restaurant. It's just, it was like kind of a extension of the, of the gay bar scene in the restaurant. So, you know, you came from that kind of environment, and then you, you know, went to college and learned that the rest of the world wasn't like that. And so then at what point did you really decide to start doing all these trainings and really make this your career? Yeah, thanks for asking. I think, you know, like many of the great things of my life, um, two things happened. One was I had this 
this friend who was like, hey, there's this class. Come take it with me. And so I went and I took it, and I was like, wow, this is, this is awesome. Um, and that was my first Tantra class. And I was like, mm-hmm. it, it, it was almost as if I had um, – <clears throat> so the first Tantra class I, I ever took was actually a white Tantra class, which meant that it mm-hmm. was much more about um, – the individual and the individual practice. And so the Mm -hmm. yoga and the breathing and using the body as an instrument for, for one's own pleasure and learning like Mm -hmm. what the body was capable of. And then, and then it was like, wow, this is great. I want to show other people. I want, I want to have other people who know this stuff so I can play with them. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> was actually how I started teaching um, Tantra. And then what I realized was um, that as I, you know, shared, shared the information, um, you know, the people around me were more lit up. The more people around me were more lit up, the more it lit me up. And it was like, and then there were these ripples that rippled out from there. And I was like, ah. We can change the world with this. Um, and then at a certain point, so I went to school. I was, all, I was planning on being a lawyer, and I went to Washington, D.C. Um, to work on Capitol Hill because um, I wanted to have an internship, and I wanted to, you know, be, because that's what you do when you're a good student and you're building your mm-hmm. resume. And when I got to Washington, D.C., um, I, uh, I ended up falling in with um, some folks that were teaching classes around uh, kink and ethical BDSM. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, this is the greatest thing. And then somebody mm. was like, hey, we need, some, we need somebody to do this, um, this scene with us. Would you do it with us? And, oh, by the way, we'll pay you for it. Uh-huh. And so I was kind of like, huh, I can get paid to do this thing that I love to do? Why, yes, mm-hmm. I would love to. And so that was kind of how I, I started, um, you know, my, my professional dominatrix world. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that, you know, for the most part, um, you know, I'm I'm definitely more on the sensual side. I'm more on the tantra side. I'm kind of like, you know, very. Um, I, I like to say that I'm I'm too dark for tantra and too light for for BDSM. But you know, the thing <laughs> is, is that all of these things weave themselves together, and so mm-hmm. I could, you know, I really found that there was healing in both worlds. Right, mm-hmm. there was healing in in connecting to spirit, but there's also healing in connecting to the shadow. And so that was, um, you know, so I kind of had this organic experience and I kept meeting people who would invite me into something, you know, come and work with us. We're, we're, we're doing this, um, you know, we're doing this, this festival, come and, and, you know, and, and I love to be part of, I'm one of these people, I would rather be part of the party throwers than the party goers. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's part of my 
just, you know, I like to be a part of holding that, holding the event and creating the experience. Um, mm-hmm. And so I kept getting these these offerings to do that. And then people started asking me, you know, if I would be willing to teach them or to coach them. Um, and that's kind of how how I started working, um, you know, with the coaching. And then I was realizing that, you know, I, I really wanted to be really um, – what do I want to say here? I I wanted to be really good at what I did. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I noticed like, oh, this part was missing. So I would go out and I would I would do a training around it and then I would bring that back into my into my work. Um so, you know, I had I had a good amount of Tantra work and a good amount of BDSM work and so then I needed or felt like I wanted to learn more about um about attachment theory. Um, and, and, you know, how that affects our relationships and our sexuality. And then from there, I wanted, you know, to, I, I learned more about, um, you know, what our core, how our core experiences affect our relationships and affect our, our sexuality. And so I went and I did a deep dive into that. And so I, I just, as I noticed that I'm missing some part of it, um, I, I tend to go out and find a training and <laughs> bring it back. But mm-hmm. I, I just... Well, speaking... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Um, oh, well, yeah, was, one of your... Thinking... Tra- oh, yeah, go ahead and complete your thought, and then I'll ask you a question. Um, yeah, so I was just going to say, you know, so as I, as I learned more about what it is uh, my clients really needed, um, you know, I would either help find somebody else that facilitated that better or, um, and then learn more about that. And so a lot of my work has been inspired by, you know, the next phase of what my clients needed. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I started off working mostly with women and really felt drawn to work with men in part because... Um, I felt like there was amazing training for women and amazing people working with women. And I started looking at what was around for men, and it was, you know, a lot of stuff out of the the pickup artist world, which mm-hmm. what I want to say about the pickup world is that I see it as, you know, there's this desire to connect with women, <laughs> Mm-hmm. And there's just not a whole lot of authentic knowledge on how to do that. Um, right. And so, you know, I, it's not quite a pre, it, it's, I have understanding and of, of, of that world and, and how it's, how it was created and why it was created. Um, but I feel like it's not, it asks men to be inauthentic as to who they really are. And on some right. level, what women want more than anything from men is for them to show up authentically. Right. Thank you for saying that. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. We're speaking with Deborah Cat, 
And we're talking about all the different trainings she's done and what a whole pantheon of experiences and trainings she has in her toolkit and how she just uh, kind of started focusing on helping men as her specialty. Um, If you want to ask Kat or Deborah any questions, feel free to call in, and you won't interrupt us. You'll just be put on hold, and we'll answer your call at the right time. The call-in number is 657-383-1132. Again, that's 657-383-1132. So uh, let's talk about your current work with men. Um, Yeah, you know, there's most of these kinds of trainings that, that we go to, um, you have women, like women learning about Tantra and women, you know, learning all this stuff. Like most of the trainings I go to are women. <laughs> and I find that because of our culture, like ha- men having to be the ones that make the money and create the household and have that masculine power that attracts women into it, they feel like they have to spend most of their ha- the first half to two-thirds of their life focusing on how to make money. And so you see men in those kind of realms, in money-making realms, but you don't see them out there in the personal growth workshops as much. So I find that they, you know, they finally get the woman because they have some degree of success and then they're clueless, like they don't have any tools about how to deal with her once they get her. (laughs) So, um, So where do we start? Like, Take it from there and, like, how do we start to train men how to be awesome lovers and partners and and have the emotional intelligence to be able to have a relationship? Right. Well, thank you so much for asking. I think, you know, one of the biggest things that um, that I – one of the places that I start most often with my clients, with men, is – to support them in learning how to actually be more embodied, right? Mm -hmm. They spend a lot of their time in their heads. There's a lot of figuring out things, but there's not necessarily a lot of feeling of things. And Mm -hmm. so one of the assignments that that I'll often give my clients is to, you know, go dancing. Mm. And, dancing over, say, like, you know, going to the gym or whatnot, because a lot of things happen on the dance floor. And one of the things is is that our bodies respond to each other. You know, we, it is my belief and my, you know, what what I've seen happen is that we are reflective, responsive creatures, right? So our bodies um, respond to each other. You know, they respond to music and they respond to um, sensations all around them. And so one of the places to start is, like, how does it feel to be moving in your body? Now, you know, the assignment generally starts, you can start your room, but at some point I invite, I invite my clients to, you know, to take it out to the dance floor and see what is it like to move your body in a place where there's other people moving their body. And notice Mm. what happens. And invariably, they'll come back from the experience going like, yeah, it was really weird at first. And like, you know, I hated you for a while. And then like halfway through the, (laughs) halfway through the the dance, like there's this, 
you know, there's this moment where I noticed that I was moving back and forth and, and, you know, somebody else was moving back and forth and we were moving back and forth together. And I was like, yes, that is how you come into your body and actually get to discover what's going on in someone else's body. And that's what I, that's called um, attunement. And so that is actually one of the places that I, um, that I start with men is to help them to become more attuned, not just to themselves, but to what's going on around them. And it can be Mm. as easy as like, you know, noticing what's happening, you know, noticing how close you're standing next to somebody. Um, It was really interesting. I, so I lead an event called Tantra Speed Date. And last night was the first time that we actually were in person with each other. Oh, great. And one of the things that that I really, you know, one of the things that I invited people to do was find the space that feels good to them, right? For the last year, we've been told six feet apart, right? Mm -hmm. Well, six feet apart, six feet apart feels, at least for me, there's a place where it like, it feels just out of my comfort zone, right? People are just mm-hmm. a little bit too far away for me to feel them. They're just a mm-hmm. little bit too far away for me to connect with them. And, you know, in the situation we were coming out of, that's great. But, you know, when I want to connect with somebody, like where is, where is the place which is, is the right amount of space between us? Mm-hmm. Um. And I think it's a really, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a starting point that most people can feel, right? It's a way that they can actually start feeling their bodies. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'll, I'll have the, <laughs> I'll have them practice with their wall if they're not comfortable practicing with another person. Cause you know, I, I get people who are, who are, are, along, you know, in, in, in all sorts of different places of, of, of ready to connect with the outside world. Um, and so, you know, it's like you can get that feeling even if you're just, like, standing next to a wall. Like, what is, what is too close? What is far away? Like, what, what feels good to my body in space? So that's where I like to start with people. That's really awesome. I love that. And I'm wondering, I'm just thinking about when you said six feet apart is just a little too far. And the reason why we were told that during the pandemic was because most of the, um, you know, the, the breath, like that we carry the virus on, can't travel that far for the most part. So that makes me mm-hmm. wonder, like, is it something about our breath and our air that makes us feel close to people? Because Tantra is so much about breath, you know, like moving our breath through our body. So I just have that thought. Like, I wonder if it's something about they're too far for our breath to connect. And so that's why we can't feel them. Do you know what I mean? Oh, that's such a great, um, that's such a great thought. I, yeah, it could be. Well, the other piece could be. that Who was knows? super interesting <laughs> Um, the, the other piece that was super interesting was like, okay, so we've been wearing masks for the last year or so. And the downside about that is we don't see our complete faces. The upside about mm-hmm. it is 
I learned to really key in on people's eyes in a whole different way, right? Mm. I mean, from my tantra practice, I've spent a lot of time eye-gazing, right? But that's a very different thing than just like, you know, I see somebody at six feet away. I can tell whether they're smiling or not. Like their eyes are lit Mm -hmm. up in a completely different Mm way. And so I just, I feel like, you know, I've noticed, I've, I've been able to sort of like, you know, take in this, this extra piece of like being able to, to see <laughs> and to register um, facial expressions just through the eyes. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, so I want to ask yeah. you a question about men. I'm going to change the direction a little bit here. You mentioned earlier that when your first partner said, you know, I'm not monogamous, and then it occurred to you, oh, I don't have to be monogamous either. So, you know, I'm on a lot of Facebook groups having to do with polyamory and non-monogamy, and I keep hearing this over and over again about women will post on the Facebook group that their partner has a female lover, the male partner has a female lover, but he doesn't want her to have one. And so we call this the one penis policy in polyamory <laughs> or the whole penis <laughs> <for> short. <laughs> Where it's really common for men to be okay with them having other lovers, but they don't want their woman to have other lovers. So can you speak to that a little bit? Like what is it about the makeup of the man that creates that kind of double standard? Well, a couple things pop into my head with that. I mean, the first thought is is that I also hear, you know, often hear that men are okay with, you know, they, they want their lover can have a, a female lover, but not a not a male lover. Um, exactly. And I, I think right. that's which which you know that has often not gone well either, um, because. You know, there's a there's a lot of of attention that's taken. I think you know it really depends on the men, right? And it just depends on because like my partner has come to understand that his life is better when I have more attention and when I have mm-hmm. more, um, you know, to be perfectly blunt, like when I have more sex, when I have more cock, when I have more more of that. Then, um, then his life is just better. <laughs> um, less responsibility because, for him. <laughs> well, I think it's less responsibility. I think it's also that, like, you know, there's there's a place where it's like our connection is, you know, so solid that um, that you know when I have an adventure. Um, I go out and I have a wild adventure. I want to come home to my, you know, I want to come home. I want to come home to my heart. I want to come home to that body that I fit well with. I want to come Mm -hmm. home to that, you know, there's a certain kind of sex that I have with my partner that is very different Mm -hmm. than what I have with my adventures. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, you know, so I think that, you know, there's a place where for some men they, they, their story is that um, if their partner is with somebody else, that that takes away from them um, 
mm-hmm. whereas for for many women um, they have a variety you know they have a need for variety and they have a variety of needs and mm-hmm. you know it can be it can be as you said earlier a lot of responsibility for one lover to be um you know responsible for all that on the other side like when my partner is with his lover um you know his female lover like he comes back he's all turned on he's like you know standing tall he's like in his body in a way that like you know that he doesn't he doesn't get that from me anymore because we've been together 20 years i've seen his underwear Uh on the floor way too many times you know (laughs) <laughs> and yet he gets this quality of attention from another woman. Um, and, you know, I I get the benefit of that. Mm-hmm. I get the benefit that he is seen by this other woman, you know, through new eyes. Mm-hmm. Right. So he feels and, better about himself and then he appreciates you more. For that freedom, that's one thing I've noticed is that the more we can give our partners that freedom, the more likely they are to want to be with us. And it's counterintuitive because we think that we need to control them um, to keep from feeling hurt, scared, rejected, abandoned. But the opposite is the less we control them, the more freedom we give them, the more they appreciate who we are. And it's so hard to do. And I, I think do you think that for a lot of men they have like a programmed belief or some kind of internalized belief that if their female partner has having sex with someone else that it says something about them, that they're not living up to their job, they're not satisfying her or whatever? Yeah, well, I mean, definitely. I, I think that – and I think – I think it goes for for both men and women. But, yes, I I would say that men definitely have the story and have the conditioning that they can't possibly, their partner can't possibly be with someone else because that would mean that they're going there because they're not doing something right. Right. What's interesting to me, what's very interesting to me, is one of the things I've seen um, is that, uh, one of the biggest surprises that men tend to have around um, when they start experimenting with um, with more, you know, uh, alternative or you know, um, either non-monogamy or some version of, of swinging or inviting somebody else into the relationship, is it's like. I, I find that they're often surprised at how much pleasure they get from their partner's pleasure. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's it's a big surprise for a lot of men that, you know, when they see their, their partners, their female partners turned on and they can actually stand back and not have to do all the work. I mean, not that it's work, but you know what I mean. <laughs> When they get to see their partner in this orgasmic bliss and they get a fuller picture of it because they're not necessarily involved, they just get to see the, the, the picture of it, or they get to be involved, in, in, and yet and there's, they're, um, 
there are more hands or more mouths or more cocks um, and their partners are overwhelmed in a way that they haven't, they can't be with the one with, with one person. Um, a lot of men are like, Oh, wow. I never even thought about that. I've never even, it had never even occurred to me that this was an option. And I think that's part mm-hmm. of what happens in the, in the one cock um, policy idea is it's like, you know, they're so focused on if my partner, uh, you know, if my partner's pleasure is not involved me, then it's then it's not. It, it, there's there's something that's being taken away from. And yeah, and you, you can know, even see that with uh, sometimes I've experienced men being insecure if a woman uses a toy, you know, a dildo or something. <laughs> I've had you know kind of men that haven't been exposed to a lot of sex positivity. Um, feel threatened by even a toy. <laughs> That's so interesting because I'm, I've been hearing that I, I've been hearing that more and more lately, and I'm I'm a little um, I. It's just so interesting to me <laughs> um, <laughs> because you know it, it's again it's sort of like this is an enhancement. It's like this mm-hmm. is a, this is you know. It, it, it's like you guys are, you know, on a team to make, to 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 have an experience that's that's bigger and and um, and more more encompassing than can happen with just one person or you know without the toy. Mm-hmm. I, I think it just. So how do you coach just, it, men? Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say. I mean, I think it kind of goes to this to this piece around. Um, you know, the story that we're taught about, like, how women orgasm and how women mm-hmm. bond and how women, you know, all of the stories that we have about how, what women's sexualities are that are, that are not, that aren't correct. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, right. it's like, for a long time, it was like, if you don't have a vaginal orgasm, you're not having a real orgasm. It's like, that's mm-hmm. crap. You know, or if a man, you know, the other side of that is if a man doesn't climax um, and ejaculate, then, you know, the the sex act has failed. That's crap. <laughs> it's just not true. Yeah, and I, you know? I see that a lot with um, mature men. It's a big thing where they, you know, as men mature, they um, don't get as erect as they once did and they don't last as long. And they have such shame and uh, fear. They, like I was just had a client the other day where um, this, this woman, I was working with a woman. She was dating a new guy. And they're both in their 60s. Things were going really well and they were really connecting. And she thought like, okay, I think we're going to have sex on the next date. And then he got really distant and closed down to her. And she didn't know what was wrong. And she finally confronted him. And it was that he was afraid that, he's going to be under pressure to be hard and he was so afraid that he would fail with that, that he ended up shutting down toward her. And so I was, you know, helping her to reassure him the next time she saw him that there's so much more to, there's so many more things we can do. And this whole thing about foreplay and the bases and all this, you know, nomenclature that we've grown up with where 
where intercourse, penis and vagina intercourse is the main event and everything else is just foreplay, puts so much pressure on men. <laughs> it does. It puts so much pressure on men. And and it's it's a story that, like, and, of course, for women, it's like, oh, well, he didn't ejaculate, so something's wrong with me. Like, it's crazy because right. we both, uh, both, you know, on both ends of the penis, we're dealing with this, like, if there's no ejaculation, there's there's failure, right? And mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, it's, it's, and it's, I mean, so much of what I do is just telling people that your sex is normal, right? You mm-hmm. are okay. Like, whether you've got, whether your cock is 10 inches or 2 inches, whether you're, you know, whether you've got, like, you know, whatever your body is doing, it's like, it's it's okay, and you can still have pleasure, and you can still find pleasure, and you can still pleasure your partner, you know, and mm-hmm. so so much of what I do is just unwinding all the crazy shit we grow up with, you know, right. all of the crazy stuff, like, um, you know, just the story, just kind of what, what we're talking about is, of, like, what is, what is sex to you? Right. And when I, when I, when I, um, one of the big things for me, so when I did my training with um, orgasmic meditation and basically uh, what orgasmic meditation is, is it's a 15 minute practice where you have a finger and a clit. And for 15 minutes, the clit is stroked with no goal. And I mean, first of all, getting people to wrap their head around that was, was huge. Um, mm-hmm. But when you start taking the goals out of sex, right, mm-hmm. when the goal or when you start shifting the goals of sex to be like, I want to be completely vulnerable with you and how that mm-hmm. happens is I open my body to you. And mm-hmm. through my body opening to you, I open the possibility of, you know, of of incredible uh, pleasure, right? Mm-hmm. When 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 somebody starts uh, learning that by moving their finger at a slow pace, and they can feel what's happening in the whole body of their partner from the tip of their finger like all the way down into their own genitals, right? And so if I, you know, if I stimulate or if I touch you here and I can feel that feeling through my finger down into my, into my genitals, um, it's a game changer. You know, I'm really lucky. Mm-hmm. I, I have both a clit and a finger so I can be on both sides of, of that equation. And it was really just like when when I felt the power of the clitoris, <laughs> I was like wow, I have one of these, and I had no idea what was going on here. Like it's just it's. I mean, one of the things that I totally got to understand about that is why men have so much attention on pussies. They're amazing. Like cocks are awesome too, well, but pussies are amazing. Well, can you talk for the last, uh, you just have about four minutes left, but talk for a minute for those who, I mean, lately I've been seeing 
the whole diagram of the, um, you know, the, the, the clitoris is like, I'm assuming that in, in orgasmic meditation you're stroking the hood of the clitoris, but there's so much more to the clitoris that's internal. So, Because I've been seeing models and pictures of that a lot in recent years, and a lot of people don't know that, that it's very complex and it's a whole system through the whole vulva area. So can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, well, one of the things I want to say is that the whole, I mean, first of all, the whole body can be an erogenous zone. But when mm. we start talking about, about the clit itself, right, so the, the, and the pussy itself, it's like there's a place where stimulation can happen um, that it's like it, it can be felt so, for instance, if I touch the inside of my thigh, right in the in the crack of like where the the you know the thigh and the the hip come together, right? Mm-hmm. And if I can actually stimulate that part of my body, and I can feel it in another part of my body, right? Because the the um, the the I, I believe you know that those nerve endings go all over the place. They come down from the clit. They come around the the lips. They go down into the into the bulbs, um, and so there's a, there's a lot more area to be stimulated, and there's a lot more um, there's a lot more pleasure that can be had in the body. Mm-hmm. And I just had an amazing thought that I lost, so <laughs> I'm gonna invite uh-huh. you to ask me another question. Yeah, just that, um, you know, I think that there's so much education that we all need about the female uh, sexual response. Um, Women were trained to not talk about it. Um, If we talk about it and we know what we want, then we're sluts or whores. And so um, we're just quiet. And then men are, like, watching porn and trying to figure it out. And so the more we can, like, teach each other like what how our bodies really look and how they get aroused and all the options we have for play and just like I said in the beginning to be able to talk about it to bring talk out of the shadows make talking about sex sexy (laughs) you know being able to ask for what you want is, is a sexy thing it's not an insult for you to tell your partner what you want some men take it as an insult like they're supposed to just know already yeah Absolutely. And, you know, um, one of the things that, that, that really came out of the, the, the orgasmic meditation, the own training, is, is helping men understand that when a woman asks, like, a little bit to the right or a little bit to the left or you're not quite on spot, what she's asking, she's doing you a kindness because she is mm-hmm. guiding you to the point where there is the most pleasure, right? Mm-hmm. So if she's, you know, if, if her request is to go to the left and you go to the left and then you find that spot that's got all that electricity and all that sensation, again, not only is she going to have pleasure, but you're going to feel it in your body, right? Mm-hmm. You are going to be, you know, because, again, we go back, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's like we are attuned to each other, right? Mm-hmm. And we, I almost feel like, you know, uh what is the biggest shames around around sex and around bodies is that we are essentially told that 
our whole sexuality happens in six inches or eight inches. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, mm-hmm. for, for the, it, it happens in, you know, for, for women, it's in their pussies, for men, it's in their cocks. The truth is mm-hmm. our whole bodies, whole bodies are absolutely orgasmic. And, um, you know, just going back to if there's one thing, like, I really, you know, hope that my, my clients walk away with, um, is the idea that they can talk about sex. And if they don't ask anything else, I mean, hopefully they're having a whole safe sex conversation and everything else. But if they're not, if they ask one thing, and that is, how do you want to feel in sex? Then, you know, I feel like that is going to just up their, their sexual experience with their partners. You know, because it's like you're going to have sex a whole different way if your partner wants to feel, um, you know, cuddled or if you want your, your partner wants to feel special or if your partner wants to feel ravished or if your partner wants to feel um, surrendered, you know, or as a woman asking your partner, how do you want to feel? Well, you're going to do things differently if he wants to be worshipped or if he wants to be, you know, feel like a king or if he wants to feel like... You know, the, the you know the stable boy. <laughs> I mean, it's like, and and again, it it kind it it's 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 just like as you were saying, having these conversations and opening up and knowing more about like you know what gives us pleasure as individuals. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I do a lot. Well, I'm sorry lot to interrupt you, Pat, but we're almost. We're almost out of time, and I want to make sure that you have time to tell our listeners how they can reach you. But this has been such a juicy last topic. I feel like we could go on for another hour just about that. But thank you so much, and Ah. please tell our listeners how they can get more of you. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. So the best way to get more of me is to uh, come to my website, which is Deborah Cat, D-E-B-O-R-A-H. KAT.com, DebraCat.com. Um, you have a couple of different choices of how we can work together. Uh, one of my favorites is I will coach for chocolate. So uh, I have a, co- a session on there where um, it's, a, it's a coaching breakthrough session, and we talk about, you know, what you're wanting more of and look at, at, at how to have you get more of that. And if you, um, at the end of the session, um, you get to send me chocolate, which makes me very happy. <laughs> I also have a free okay, consultation. Okay, 30, 30 seconds. Absolutely. 30 seconds. Again, DebraCat.com um, is the best way to reach me and to find out what I'm up to. D-E-B-O-R-A-H-K-A-T. Thank you so much for being on the show, Kat. It was a delicious conversation. I look forward to seeing you, and best of luck with everything. Thank you so much. I so appreciate you having me here. It's been, as you said, an amazing conversation. Thank you. Okay. Have a good night. Bye-bye.